0: Welcome to All Road 65 Max Radio, where the road ahead gets brighter as we journey toward truth, traveling through our dreams and inspiration into a new reality. It's time, and your ticket is waiting. All aboard All Road's Lead 65 Max with Pamela Henderson.
1: Thank you for joining me on BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max. I am your host Pamela L. Henderson. My focus is my mission statement to help create a quality of life through social growth, inspiring jewels to become leaders by establishing partnerships with corporations, nonprofits, donors sponsors, volunteers, the community and abroad. Please join me every other Tuesday at noon on BBS Radio, all road 65 max my special guest today is mr. Norm Welsh as a police officer for over 25 years mr. Welsh witnessed his share of trauma and would later fall into a downward spiral following his own diagnosis of PTSD he served eight years of a 14-year sentence on corruption charges and emerged from federal prison determined to help others, particularly first responders, to help heal from trauma. Mr. Welsh also has a master's degree in law enforcement management and is an expert in law enforcement tactics, criminal investigations, pursuit driving, high-risk search warrant service, PTSD, and the police culture. We will be discussing his new book, Christ-centered healing method that was originally designed to minister to first responders and combat veterans. It is also appropriate for counselors, pastors, chaplains, and anyone whose lives are or who have been impacted by trauma. At last, thank you for this interview chance, Mr. Welsh, and welcome to my show.
2: Uh, thank you for having me. You with me? Yes, I am. Thank you for having okay.
1: me. <laughs> so how you doing today?
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm
1: blessed. Oh, d- absolutely. So I'm going to get right into it. I was reading about you and you are very, very inspiring. But my question to you is before anything that went wrong in your life, Why did you want to work in law enforcement?
2: You know, that's a real good question. I just felt it was a calling. I was an auto mechanic prior to that in my early 20s. And I I just didn't feel that that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I went on a police ride along, you know, where you you sit in with a police officer and ride for the shift. And that was it. I knew that that was my calling.
1: Wow. Yes. I understand that. And when you were a police officer, did your political beliefs influence your verdicts when you had to arrest or reprimand someone?
2: No, political beliefs never came into the picture. It was the it is what we see every day, right? If we see certain um, different cultures committing crimes every day, that's where I believe that the biases come in, you know. If you work with um, one specific culture all the time, I believe that's what gives us that um, that, that uh, bias. And I yes. I really even hate to say that, but that, that's it's the truth. Uh, I don't yeah. think it's a racial bias. I think it's just a, a criminal bias, you know. It's um, like if you have if you live in a culture where all Hispanics are are in the community, and they're always committing crimes, that's where you kind of keep an eye on. And that's um, what I think police officers really um, target in on.
1: Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I agree to that. Absolutely. Were there any sort of criminals, or a criminal you considered more favorably when you were a police officer that made the community safer? Uh, well,
2: Favored as in targeted or favored as in they're better than others?
1: Favored in as being, uh, to make the community safe. So it's I good. would say here yeah. I am a police officer and, yeah. and you know, I, I'm passionate about who I am and what I am yeah. doing. Yeah. So yeah. my focus would be to help who? It's not well, just after- everyone in public. Mm -hmm. Uh, I understand it now. After a few
2: years, I realized that, in my opinion, it was drug addicts who were really causing the the biggest problems in the community, right? I mean, these are um, just everyday life, like burglaries and auto burglaries and residential burglaries and petty theft. I realized that the majority of these people weren't really stealing in order to live a better life, you know, to live in a gated community and, and all that. They were stealing just in order to get their next um, hit of, of drugs. And so that was my target at the time. But now I realize that that was flawed because I, I just didn't know why people use drugs. I mean, we were never taught in the police academy why people do the things they do. And um, I believe that that should change. I mean, if we know that this person is a drug addict because maybe they were raped in childhood or abused or in the foster care system, and this is why that they're using drugs, we need to have a whole different outlook on that. And I think that society needs to change in that point of view. But that was my target, and that's why I learned narcotics.
1: Very good. I like that. Very inspiring. And you know, like right now in my community, I, I have noticed that Homelessness has is rampant. Now we do have these signs that's up like at the stoplights and it tells you do not, you know, participate in the panhandling and everything. And they still are standing there. Yeah. And it's very interesting because, you know, we all have our opinion about homelessness. And I I'm, I'm am te- I'm teetering on another side. It's not, you know, and don't get me wrong. I I'm passionate, very passionate about helping those who are unfortunate or in, in unfortunate situations. But then again, we do have a lot of resources or I would say quite a few resources to help the homeless to make some decisions to help themselves get off the streets, get into some type of um, indoor living, but they don't want that. And I, 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 I state that because I have spoken to a couple of them because I'm never going to give just money to anyone. And that's because I had a... issue that happened to me when I was in Denny's eating breakfast one day with my student. And this gentleman walked up to me and he he did. He looked homeless and everything. And he said, well, can you buy me some breakfast? And I said, yes. And he said, "Um, well, okay, it's going to cost $20. Can I have $20? I said, no. What I would do is buy you uh, some breakfast. So he looked (laughs) at me and he said, oh, okay. And so I brought him a grand slam. And then he had asked me for some orange juice. I didn't mind that. And he said, a side of hash browns. I said, okay, you should be filled up by the time you're done here, right? (laughs) And so my student was like, you know what? He, he is something about him. I don't like I don't think that he needed any money because I was looking at his shoes. I said, you looking at his shoes. So she said, yeah. And she said, when you're homeless, I mean, it's like everything about you is going to show that you're homeless or there are certain things that you would not say. And I said, well, you know, I didn't look at it that way. I was only looking at him and he was stating that he was hungry. So as we finished eating our breakfast and everything, and as we walked out of Denny's, this same man was getting himself into a Benz. (laughs)
2: Oh
1: my God! No, he didn't. No, he's not getting (laughs) into a new Benz. And so I I I proceeded to approach him, and, and and he was all like looking at me strange and everything. And now he got like two, three different Denny bags from, I guess, him going around the tables and asking people and everything. And I had told myself, never again. Because yeah. what I do now is if I want to, you know, buy you something, I would do that myself, no problem. But I have the resources through my foundation to direct them to get help. And people do have these resources. So that was, that was... um <laughs>
2: that yeah, interesting no, you touched yeah. on a real you touched on a real mm-hmm. um unique situation where I don't really see any answer to it because it has to be a multi pronged approach right I work at a residential treatment facility, and we get homeless guys in all the time and the next day or two days later, even though we give them a bed, we give them three meals a day and, and new clothing they they walk away they don't want to live under the rules. That, that we have. And this is the biggest problem is, is the mental health of of these people. Usually yes. there are some multi-different diagnoses that, that comes into play, right? Just not a drug addiction, but schizophrenia, bipolar, and all these things. And when they're homeless, they can't get the correct medication, cr- cr- correct treatment to to keep them thinking properly. And so, when, when there's mental health issues, there's drug issues, it, it, you're right. It's really not – they don't want to, to come in. They don't want to do it because they want to live on their own. And until we change the way we look at mental health here in the United States, I, I don't think that anything is going to change. But you did the right thing. Don't give them money. And that's what I do, too. I'll just drive over to McDonald's. I'll, I'll buy a couple of meals and give it to them. And they would rather have the money to buy drugs or alcohol.
1: Right. Right. That is so true. That is, that is, you're, you're absolutely right. And one thing that I am passionate about and my focus through my foundation, because i mentor girls 12 to 24 years old. Oh. And I believe that mental illness and behavioral problems are two different issues. Now, even though they have similarities, they are still two different issues yeah. And behavioral problems, you can change. You can help change towards social growth. And yeah. that is where I teach the customer service skills because customer service skills is the essential part of being any profession that you want to pursue. And also for regarding bad behavioral problem uh, um, issues such as, you know, um, truancy, family problems, um, domestic violence, and foster care. Um, I come to find through the experience with my daughter going through court and everything pertaining to my grandson is a lot of girls have these issues with behavioral problems and they're not a mental illness. They are bad habits. Yeah, so correct. I had established my foundation on behalf of that issue because I'm really focused to helping our youth. I mean, if you look at what t- today's society is teaching our children, it's really, really sad. And now that we are in a, uh, uh, and I'm going to be honest, a outright war of our beliefs, you have people who believe in um Uh, lgbtq you have you know people like me i believe in a man and a woman even though i feel that we are all in this salad bowl together and we have to get along because you know who am i to judge anyone but then and again who are anyone or they to judge us as well for our beliefs so this is going to be interesting the uh the, the, the coming up campaign of voting is going to be interesting and everything. So I'm praying for us. We got to get through this because even though we're not in a war initially, but we are in a war.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, that's all we can really do is pray and try to make a difference by just doing the right thing. I think that's the, the important thing here.
1: Absolutely. So getting back to our discussion as well, did you believe that everyone were equal before the law so before you know like have you ever pulled anyone over and in 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 like me you you pull me over and i say you know officer i don't have my tags i am on my way now to dmv and i show you my credentials and all my paperwork and everything how did you look at that and the reason why i'm asking you that because i I, I get a lot of complaints about
2: that. Yeah. You know, from from a police officer standpoint, you mm-hmm. begin your career trusting everyone, right? You you, you wow. stop people and they say, yeah, you know, I forgot my license at home. And then you check and then it's suspended. You know, uh, no, I've never been arrested, you know, and then you check and then they got arrested. Uh, I've only had one beer and they're drunk. So when you continue to, face these lies every single day you get hardened right it, it's a hardening of the heart it's of callousness and unfortunately a lot of officers don't handle it as well as others and mm-hmm. they become um, arrogant and, and rude and but you have to understand what they face every day so uh, a, a typical day would be yeah you, you'd stop a couple people and uh, you know they would lie to you you know oh, officer i'm um, I'm going to work. And then you find out later that they, they don't have a job or or whatever And, and the lies just become a, a point where you just don't believe anyone anymore, no matter what color, what age, what social economic status, you just don't believe anybody. And
1: right.
2: if you let people go and they lied to you over it, it really frustrates you, you know? So, I understand what the people, because now I look at police work as a totally different um, viewpoint, right? I used to look at it as, as as us against them. So the cops against the criminals, but it really isn't. It's, It's more of a service and I never really looked at it that way, but now I see it more as a service, but the issue still remains is how do you just blindly believe people and then have them really lie to you and make, make a joke out of you make a joke out of the law right so it, it's a it's a difficult um, it, it's a difficult dy- dynamic to to do or to, to be in and then you have to look at the traumas that that we go through or the police I shouldn't say weeks I'm no longer a cop anymore but did that the police go through so there there were times in my my career where I had to respond to uh, the dr- drowning of a, a toddler so you go to this Um, drowning of a toddler and you hold this dead baby in your arms really and then from there on you you have somebody that you know you go you leave that scene and then all of a sudden you have a speeder or something that's really out of control and you stop them it's hard to turn off that anger that frustration and it's so it's not a really easy situation to say okay all cops are bad well no the most cops are good. There are some bad ones and there are some ones that should not be doing a public service. I'll, I'll agree with that. And there are some that are ra- racist. I, I do agree with that also. However, I believe most of them are just trying to do the best job they can do. But the, the culture itself is such where you can't ask for help. And that's the biggest question I get is, well, when you're, you know, doing stupid stuff, why didn't you just ask for help? Well, you, you can't, because if, if you show any sign of weakness, they're basically going to put you on leave and, and probably try to fire you. So, so there's a whole uh-huh. dynamic there that most of the, the people aren't aware of. And then when you come into combative people, you know, where you have guys that maybe deploy a taser, um, maybe a little bit too quickly, it's It's because of past experience. It's not because we have fun tasing somebody or, or pulling our gun on somebody. It's because of uh, its a learned behavior we We also want to go home. so you have to look at it, okay, what do they face daily? well what's what's the cop thinking in this situation? The guy's reaching in his pocket. Is he reaching in his pocket for a gun or is he reaching in his pocket for a wallet? Those are split second determinations that that have to be made. And sometimes it, it, it's wrong, wrong decision, but it's all based on prior experience, and that's what um, most of the public did not realize.
1: Yeah, that's true. What are what were some of the ways that you worked to develop a good relationship between the citizens and the as, as being a police officer during that time?
2: You know. To be totally honest, no, I, I never did. When I was at one, at one of my worst points in my um, emotional, well, I'm gonna call it mental illness, the PTSD, what I did is I, I changed my career path to narcotics. So I wasn't exposed to the daily grind of death and, and um, child abuse and elder abuse and, and, right. and stuff like that. Um, I went to narcotics, which is more proactive So you can have more of an impact, I believed at the time. So we didn't have to deal with calls for death and and calls, you know, going to a suicide or stuff like that. We would all be proactive things. So now I see my mistakes that I made, you know, uh, about my anger and my frustration. But I never really changed it on the street. And um, I regret a lot of the things that I said to people and, and the way I treated some people.
1: Yeah. What is PTSD trauma and how can someone develop this disease?
2: Well, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Some people are calling it post-traumatic stress injury right now. And what it is, it's it's how we respond to an overwhelming life event, something out of the ordinary that's out of the daily scope of life. In other words, say a serious traffic collision where maybe somebody gets seriously injured or dies, um, being a shooting victim. Maybe you're just, you know, on the street and, and you're not even part of it, but the shots are fired. Um, with me, it was seeing the, the, the trauma and witnessing death, having people, you know, die in front of you, having children, you know, die in your arms. And, and so if you don't deal with the the stress properly, in other words, it's not the traumatic event that really oppresses us, what it is, it's our response to it, right? We have the choice, and God gave us this choice to respond to things how we wish, right? And when we respond with forgiveness and understanding, it it has a tendency to process in the brain differently. In other words, it doesn't bother us as much. But when we bury those emotions, ignore those emotions, That's when the brain goes unprocessed, and that's why we have nightmares and um, intrusive thoughts. And I was having nightmares and intrusive thoughts for years, and that's what started the opioid addiction. Is I was just trying to numb my emotions by by using the medication.
1: Wow. So anybody can can
2: get this. It's just not for cops. It's just not for uh, military veterans. (laughs) It's for anybody. I mean, a child um, being attacked and bitten by a dog, can have disastrous yeah. later results in, in life and with PTSD because uh, of the dog bite. And and that will, if not properly processed, that will really affect every relationship that that person is in. And that's why it's so important to process this trauma and to, um, to make sure your response is good. And that's what that book is all about.
1: Wow. What do you feel is the most was the most important part about being a police officer?
2: Well, it's changed now from where it used to be. <laughs> well, my thoughts yeah. in the past were to to make the community a safer place. That that still remains true, but I see it from a different standpoint now. And, and you do see a lot of cops changing the, their um, I don't want to say tactics because that sounds so thing, but their, their way of doing things. Like, I would have never thought to get out of my car and um, maybe play basketball with some kids on the street. I would have ne- never thought that, you know. But now mm-hmm. it's a necessary thing because so many things have happened to to um, give police a bad name that we have to connect with the community again. We have to get out of the car, walk around, say hi. You know, It. but the police department. They see it different. They see it as a, a loss of, of, of time, right? If you're, not, if you're out in the community walking around shaking hands, you're not preventing crime. But, but I believe you are, because when you build those relationships, it, it all, it, it's all rewarded at the end. So now I believe that police officers should be more part of the community. Uh, I believe that they should allow officers to, to walk, walk the beat like they used to do. And but before in my day, it was just um, arrest, arrest, arrest. And um, I'm glad things are changing now.
1: That's great. I'm glad to hear that too. That was a great answer. Thank you so much. We're going (laughs) to take a break, and we will be right back.
0: Radio.com.
1: Greetings and welcome back to BBS Radio, All Road 65 Max. I am your host, Pamela L. Henderson, and with my special guest, Mr. Norm Welsh. So getting back to our conversation, Mr. Welsh, you have a inspiring story. I read a little bit about in 1998, you were diagnosed with muscular disease, and after more than 30 surgeries, you became addicted to opioids. If you don't mind, can you tell me how that affected your life and how you came out of that darkness?
2: Well, that was after i was diagnosed with ptsd so i was already suffering with um, depression and anxiety and panic attacks and nightmares and when this came along it, it was it was devastating because it's a neurological disease so in other words i lost all the feeling in my feet and my hands and then the muscular disease it's called the charcot marie Tooth disease is uh, the atrophy of your your muscles in your extremities so it required 30 surgeries to, to fix, and my feet are now all disfigured, and I have no balance. And my hands, I can't button buttons, and I can't zip up zippers. I can barely hold a, a glass of water. I mean, it, it was a devastating disease. And and for someone, in, in especially a first responder, it, being a first responder, being a cop is, is not just a job. It's, it's your whole identity, and that was going down the tubes. So after each surgery, the doctors, of course, gave me um, Vicodin, Percocet, all these um, opioid medications. And I really didn't have any feeling. I didn't have any feeling in my feet when they did the surgeries. But what I found after a while was that the opioids numbed my emotions. In other words, they made me feel better for a little while. In other words, I didn't have to feel those, those negative things that were going through my mind, and it quieted my, my mind down. And so, like any addiction, it starts off small, and it slowly builds steam and steam and steam, and pretty soon you go from three or four a day to, to 14, 20 a day, you know. And um, I, I was able to, to still work. So I, it wasn't it's not like heroin or fentanyl where you're just you know sleeping the whole day or anything and I was still able to get promoted and I got um, promoted to a narcotic task force and which was a hypocrisy on its own right there but it it really did help me get through a lot of my PTSD issues now not properly right I mean it really caused havoc in my life where um, I was keeping secrets and um I was trying to hide everything from not only my coworkers, from my bosses, from my wife and family. So I'm not trying to say that the the, the pills helped me. They just temporarily gave me a, a better feeling. And that's how I can really understand what these drug addicts are going through because I, I felt the same way. So the drug addiction really caused me to make some really poor decisions. And then uh, finally, at, at the very end, my daughter, she was diagnosed with liver tumors, and it was so serious that the UCLA Medical Center in L.A. said that she would only have a 50% survival of the surgery. It was that kind of an intricate surgery, and that really put me in a downward spiral that I never recovered from. The, the drug abuse got worse. Self-destructive behavior began, and, um, and that's when I made the stupid decisions to, to steal some drugs out of, out of evidence to give to somebody to sell So, yeah, drugs, yeah, really, it ruined my life, those opioids.
1: Wow. And how is your daughter doing now, today?
2: You know, God healed her. When I was out on bail, um, somebody introduced me to God and um, told me the gospel. Um, I came to Jesus, and um, the congregation started praying for her. And before I had to go to prison, God healed her. The doctors Uh never seen anything like it before. They said, you know, where all these tumors were on her liver are all clean clean tissue now, and they don't know how to explain it. But I know how to explain it. God healed her. God knew. After seeing all these bad things in life during the police career, and and this goes the same with fire department, um, you know, hospital, doctors, and trauma room, you, you see the worst of the worst, right? And it's hard to believe that there's a good, caring, loving God out there. But, so God knew he had to move mightily in, in my life. And he did. And that's when I first started to really believe in God was on fire for the Lord.
1: Praise God. Amen to that. That is, that's a blessing. And I, I, I that made me feel better because I'm yeah. such a empath. Everything affects me. Even with my <clears throat> girls, I try, you know, when they have issues, I feel like I have issues. Yes. So I try to, even though I console with them, but I also am such a positive person. I try to help them get over that hurdle of being in that, you know, that yeah. emotional depression and everything. So yes, I- I'm I'm proud and glad to hear that so much. Oh, thank you. So tell me you have a new book out, Christ Centered Healing of Trauma. Healing a broken heart and just the name of what it identifies with of healing a broken heart. Now I can say for myself that I had experienced some trauma and it was just from me going through some things um, with my daughter in court and the after effect of after winning Uh, custody of my grandson, who is now 14 and an A student, bless his heart. Mm. And that issue just like had torn me apart, not necessarily just from my daughter's issue. It was the issues of the injustice that I was served for fighting for those 10 years and it and, and it did it did affect me it did my I, you know I just now I'm starting to learn how to trust a little bit more but I have yeah. some trust issues going on.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know life so, is difficult. You know Jesus promises that hey life is going to be difficult but we have the choice to to re- how to respond to it right? But because we're we're of this world because we're a flesh, the way we respond to things is with anger and resentment. You know, and the way we deal with that anger, resentment is to isolate or, you know, drink or or use pills or maybe shopping, eating, not eating, sex, whatever. But those are only temporary fixes, you know, because we try to fill that hole that's in our heart. Since the fall, there's this hole in our heart and we try to fill it with all these different things to make us happy. Money, you know, um, uh, uh, cosmetic surgery, all these things. But nothing is truly going to make us happy because that hole is God-shaped, right? So
1: yeah.
2: when when you finally make Jesus your Lord and Savior, that's when you can find true peace. That doesn't mean that it's, you're going to heal right away, and it doesn't mean that you're going to forget all the wrongs that have been done to you, but you're on your way to healing, right, where it doesn't have yeah. that much power over you. And that's what I try to explain in the book, is when I was in prison and I was trying to heal my PTSD— And um, I ended up getting a master's degree in theology and counseling and then my doctorate in counseling. And that's when I realized, wow, you know, God lays out a a pathway here to healing. And it goes contrary to what the flesh or or what we normally do, because we we handle everything incorrectly, right? And when we handle things with isolation or or drugs, alcohol or shopping, whatever, it's sinful, and that sinfulness in our heart, that, that's what plays havoc with our spirit, right? And that's why we feel these negative emotions. That's why we feel anger, resentment, hatred. You know, we just can't move forward. I, I'm never going to forgive that person for hurting me. But no, God says you have to. You know, you, you have to. And, and when, when parents um, hurt ch- their children, that's even more difficult because the Bible says, you know, unless you respect your parents, you know, things will not go well for you. So Absolutely. We have to, we have, yeah, so we have to work on these things. So it's not really a self-help book, although it does teach what God God says. And if, if we could begin that healing process by the using forgiveness and confession and repentance, that's when the healing will come. And um, I was able to, to heal. I haven't had a PTSD, negative PTSD symptom for whew, almost nine years now. So I mean, oh, I've been healed. Oh, praise God, And um, I was able to counsel people in prison, and they showed great promises. I haven't stayed in contact with any of them, so I don't know um, what they're doing, but it's, it's the way the Bible lays it out. And it's really not that difficult, but it's difficult to look into yourself and to self-examine our own actions and to see the, the, the wrongs that we did. Right. Because we never want to admit we're wrong. We never want to admit we made any mistakes. But in certain relationships, we did make mistakes. And we have to confess that we have to forgive those who hurt us. And we have to ask for forgiveness of those who we hurt. And those are the keys right there.
1: That's true. That is so true. And that I have done. Moving on.
2: Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. You're on your way.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So what do you love the most in life now?
2: My family. You know, I've always loved my family. Don't get me wrong. But I put work above family. So in other words, I have missed birthdays. I have missed Christmases. I I have missed a a wide variety of events, dances and cheers, um, stuff like that. But now I will not miss anything from my um, grandchildren. My my children are in their 30s and 40s, but my grandchildren I I will not miss anything for. And I I place a huge, huge emphasis on family and on marriage. You know, I didn't really respect my marriage as as much as I should have. And um, so Mm -hmm. that has all changed. Once you lose something, you realize how important it is to you. And that's why I tell everybody, and they don't don't believe me, but I tell them, if God were to come right down now and say, listen, we're going to give you a do-over, and you don't have to go to prison, you know, you can just, um, you know, correct that mistake you made and move on with your life, I wouldn't do it. Because if I wouldn't have gone through what the pain that I went through, I would have never changed. And now I'm a changed person, I'm a compassionate person, I like myself, and um, I, I like my values now much better than in the past. And that's why I want to try to help people, not just cops or first responders, which would be great if I could, but I really want to help people overcome the the oppression that um, our wounding lead us through. And that's one of the reasons why I became a chaplain. So I'm also working as a chaplain right now and an addiction counselor.
1: Oh, hey, man, that, Yes, that was my next question, because I was going to ask you to tell me about the men's residential treatment facility. And, uh,
2: well, it's yeah. it's not Christian, and that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of looking for another job right now. And they know that it's it's paid for by the county, so the county does not allow you to mix, you know, religion in into their um, their paid facilities. So right. I can say higher power, but I can't say God. And really? I believe. Yeah, and I believe personally that there is no healing without without God, right? Even if it's even if you believe in some other higher power, that's okay, but there has to be a spiritual component to it. And Absolutely. they won't they won't let me do that. So, um I'm looking for a spot right now where where I can do that.
1: Yeah, that is true. I I, I you know, I was just talking to my husband about that the other day and I was like with so many changes in our schooling, our schooling for our children, we do. God does need to be back into our schools and our homes, our churches. I mean, yeah. everywhere, because we're losing it. We yeah. are, you know, we are losing it. And, and I do agree with that. So, yeah, I wish you good luck on that. Uh, thank so, you. Tim, <laughs> what is your approach when consulting someone who has experienced some of these bad behavioral or have some of these mental issues that's going on?
2: Well, well that's, yeah, it's different for everyone. It's all depending upon um, what their behavior is like. If it's a, just a drug addiction, what I try to do is I, first of all, I would like everybody to get uh, a medical Um, evaluation, in other words, a checkup, um, uh, health screening, and just to make sure that um, health-wise that they're doing good because, you know, um, behavior could be based upon a a lot of different um, um, chemical imbalances that could be from a poor diet to just not taking care of yourself. And then I I really suggest that everybody get a mental health evaluation, which is really simple. Um, If you see a, a doctor and they'll set you up for that. And just to make sure that even though you might not think you have anything, which is great, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't hurt just by talking to somebody and seeing because most of us are broken. I'm going to be really honest. Most of us are broken, yeah. and this Absolutely. is why I, I wrote the book is because there's so many people, not just cops, firemen, whatever, military guys. It's it's everyday people, just like you went yeah. through. Uh, I know men and and women that have been through nasty divorces and can't let it go. Their life has become miserable because of that. So then um, after the mental health diagnosis and there's no medication required, then we need to go to the root cause of it. There's always a root cause to our behavior, whether, um, whether it be prior trauma, whether it be a learned behavior like you alluded to earlier. That sometimes it has nothing to do with drugs. It has nothing to do with mental illness. It's just a, a learned behavior. If you grow up in a, yes. a drug trafficking family, of course, that's, you think that's normal. And you think it's okay yes. because your parents did it, your uncles do it, your aunts do it. So then we have to try to change that behavior. So, it, But it's different for everybody because everybody is different. But but one common thread we all have is we're all broken.
1: And I do agree to that, too. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me, what outcome matters to you when you are advocating?
2: What outcome? Let me see. I think the biggest outcome was with to be saved, right, and to be true, true—not truly saved, but truly converted. Uh, I should say we, can, we're all, we all can be saved just by uh, making Jesus our Lord and Savior, but a true conversion have fruit right It'll have positive fruit so we have we have now a bunch of Christians that claim to be Christians, carry their Bibles and say praise God but when you look at their life and the way they lead their life, there's no good fruit there and I don't Absolutely. believe that that's right and I don't believe that that's going to give them the peace and the joy that that God promises and I think the only way to achieve that is to really follow God's will use your gift that he gave you to do what you're supposed to do. In other words, the Bible says in Corinthians that, you know, God allows you to go through things where he'll help you through it so that you can help others going through the same thing. And if you're not doing that, I'm sorry, but you're not doing his will, and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I believe that um, that's the only route to peace and joy. Not, not a bunch of rules, the Ten Commandments, just loving God and loving one another. And I think that's what it comes down to, is doing the right thing. If I, if I love you, I can't steal from you. If I love you, I can't gossip against you. I can't talk behind your back. I can't you know, belittle you, betray you. And that's the key to it. That's, it's so simple, and I wish someone would have told me this when I was in my 20s, but but I always thought Christianity was a set of rules, and, but it's not. It's really not. So that would be my goal for everybody is to be saved and to live like God wants them to live, which is not unreasonable, and to help others. Imagine if we stopped fighting these. You, you alluded earlier to political issues. Imagine if we just treated each other with love and respect that God says in the Bible. All this stuff wouldn't be going on. You know, we could agree to disagree, you know, on policies and in the way the government's run, whatever. But we shouldn't be at each other's throats. We shouldn't be trying to hurt each other. Um, because, that, and, and then... Come out and say, you know, God, guns, and country. God, God's not for guns. You know, it, it says you die by you live by the sword, you die by the sword. So right. it's just we're we're so up upside down right now, and I think that's the devil's plan is to to do that, and eventually it's it's going to catch up with us. And um, I, I don't see a anything positive if we don't change something, it's, it's, and not just in this country, it's in the world.
1: Yes, yeah, in the world, yeah. Yeah, I I do. I do agree. I do agree. And I know I have to ask this question. How do you feel about the gun laws real quick? Just what do do you feel that? Like, in my opinion, I'm not going to say that guns should be taken away because you need guns for protection. You have to protect your family, yourself. Because people are really just getting bold nowadays. It's I think crime with, with with certain criminals is just overwhelming. And what I'm gonna do? Somebody broke into my house. What? Call the police? What? Try to do karate? I don't know. Uh, throw an apple? That that doesn't make sense to me. But putting some <laughs> so putting some real rules and policies in place that we need is totally important. How do you feel about
2: that? Again, this is a very complicated thing. I'm, I'm not a, a gun nut, but I, I believe that we should all have guns. Like like me, I'm prohibited from having a gun. And I don't understand why. I mean, I didn't use a gun in my, my crime. But anyway, it, I have experienced when I was working that people broke into houses but the the criminals took the gun from the victim and actually killed the victim. So, oh. you know, you, you're you right that we, I, I believe we should be able to protect ourselves with handguns. No if, no if ands, or buts. But I believe that there should be some type of training involved with it. I think that you need to yes. know how to handle the weapon, how to shoot it. I mean, it's a minimal four-hour, six-hour course. I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable. I also believe Absolutely. that, these um, background checks should be done. And I do not believe that, that anyone should have an assault rifle, AR-15 assault rifle for any reason. I mean, it's a, it's to kill people. There's, there's no, you can't go deer hunting, duck hunting with a, with an AR-15. And I believe that um, even if we were to allow AR-15s, which, you know, I mean, it's quite possible. I think the gun laws need to be stricter. For instance, in my crime, um, tw- 28 grams, so one ounce of methamphetamine put me in prison for 14 years. One ounce. Just one, one ounce. 14 years. So, but I, I could have a gun, I could shoot somebody, as long as I don't kill them, I would probably do five, eight years. You know, it just, it doesn't make sense, right? So our, our, right. our laws are not keeping up to date with what's going on. Now, drugs are bad. I'm not trying to advocate legalization of drugs or anything like that, but what I would suggest is that you commit a crime, you commit a crime with a gun, it's an automatic 10 years. That, that's it, period. It's, it's no ifs, ands, or buts. You know, you, you, as a felon, you possess a handgun, it's 18 months in jail. It, you know, well, wait a minute. You know, you want to get guns off the street, you want to stop these gun crimes, why don't we make it another 10 years, you know? So once these gun laws tighten up a little bit, I, I think things may change. But again, it's, it's not the guns, really. So I agree a little bit with the NRA. It's the people. So we have such a...
1: I do agree. I do agree. Yeah. It,
2: you know, it, it's a social issue more. We, we need to have more programs as youth. We need to, to have more programs of keeping um, families together. When you have so many homes that the, the male is in prison and the woman is working two, three jobs, of course they can't watch over these kids, you know? When the gangs provide more love and affection than their families do, you know, who, who are you going to go to? You, you know, you're going to go home. You're going to go to these these um, gangsters. And pretty soon that you start going into the lifestyle. And it, it's a huge, huge issue. So, yes, I believe pe- people should be able to have guns protect themselves. I think there should be training. I think the gun laws should be really strengthened, you know, to where it's at least equal with the drug laws. I mean, uh, I've seen guys, you know, when I was in prison that went, Life sentence for like less than an ounce of crack cocaine, and that's crazy. That's just yeah, that's that's totally crazy. Where you could you could shoot somebody, rob somebody, and and get five or eight years. So we have to revamp. I think the entire criminal justice system. Uh, That's just my opinion. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. I'm I'm back. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Yeah, it's, there's so many racial um, discrepancies, and, and it's just it's. It, it was a good system, but now it's it's just antiquated.
1: Yeah, that is so true. Well, Mr. Welsh, it was. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation, and I know we're up, you know, for time and and everything. But is there anything else you would like to share about what's next for you and? before we hang up and how someone can contact you well um,
2: I'm, I'm got another book in the works it's why God allowed suffering so I'm hoping that that people will kind of learn more about God and don't blame everything on him and I, I just the message I really want to get out is that there is hope if you're suffering with negative emotions um, you know intrusive thoughts nightmares or just can't move forward in life because of something that's bothering you, there is hope. And, and the hope is in the Bible and I and I hope that you get my book and, and, and learn some things. If not, just read the Bible and, and it'll it'll come out to you. And um that that's my message is there is hope for people that are hurting and just reach out and, and, and talk to people. And that's really the the main message. If people want to to um look into the book, it's Christ Tyson centered com, and um, you can um, click on there and, and you can buy it. It'll lead you to the publisher to buy it or it's on Amazon also.
1: All right. All right. Yes. Uh, I'm absolutely interested myself. So yes, I will be supporting that.
2: Oh, awesome. Well. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Mr. Welsh, it has been a pleasure having you on my show And I do look forward to chatting further in the future. So please stay in touch. And I thank you for sharing your story and uh, good luck on your endeavors. Well, listeners, I have reached my destination. I am a award-winning author of the new book, A Journey of a Sapphire. I hope to inspire others who are on their journey towards success to never give up on your dreams and how to recognize behavioral problems. You can purchase my book by visiting journeyofasapphire.com, also available on amazon.com and Kindle Fire. We have so much controversy about race, but I believe in diversity. I am against racial injustice, and I am unapologetically going to focus and remain who I am today. Mm. Praise God. I believe that all lives matter, not just Mm. one culture. We all matter because we are in this salad bowl as a mixture of Mm. colors. So God bless us all. Well, readers, I leave you with this quote and let me be clear. No one is above the law. Not a politician, not a priest, not a criminal, not a police officer. We are all accountable for our actions. Antonio Villagosa. Thank you and have a beautiful day.
0: Thank you for listening to All Roads 65 Max Radio with Pamela Henderson. Join us every other week on Tuesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio Station One. And please visit allroads65max.org and become a volunteer or sponsor and be the change you want to see in this world. With your help, we can make a difference in our society and uplift those who so desperately need our help. Thank you for tuning in.